0: We've, got, we've covered a lot, and uh, it takes some time and, and just to see uh, how the Lord is able to show us so much as we study His Word, and uh, so it's wonderful that we're able to do so. But uh, I want to read verse 23 through 28, and then we're going to focus in today on verse 23 and 24. <clears throat> it says, In the very God of peace, sanctify you wholly. Not holy as in like H-O-L-Y, but right there, holy like completely. He says, And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now here's what we find is that as he's wrapping up this letter, he's just gone through what we have have studied the past uh, month or so, and the previous section, dealing with all these different imperatives and commands for the local church. Now notice, as we've talked about, and we're talking about it on Sunday mornings as well in the series about the the beauty of Christ's church, how the Christian life is to be lived in the life of the local church. And so we find here that those same imperatives, those same commands that he's given, are not merely just for us to obey as individuals, but they're for us to obey as individuals for the benefit of the body of Christ and to build up the body of Christ. And ultimately, he tells us what the body of Christ is to look like as we await the promise motivating uh, factor that Christ is coming. Uh, as that leads us to do all these things, to rejoice and uh, to love and to quench not the spirit, to pray without ceasing, all these different things that we've covered. So the fact that Christ is coming, that is our motivating factor to obey these things as individuals, but as well in the corporate body of believers and for the benefit of the corporate body of believers. Have you ever thought that you ought to do your devotions for the church? Probably not. You've thought, well, I've got to do my devotions in prayer for myself to get me in a right, right frame of mind before I go to work, right, and deal with all the stresses of things. Have you ever thought that the reason why the Lord wants you to do devotions in your own life is not just for your strengthening, but so that you'd be strengthened to strengthen others? Notice that God is always sanctifying us and, and, and doing a work within us, ultimately not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of fellow believers. Ultimately, that's how he builds the church. Ultimately, it's how he binds the church together. So I want you to remember this. The next time you sit down for your devotions, your your, your prayer time, whatever time that you spend with the Lord that's set apart in that day, and you ought to have that as an individual, right? We've seen that. We know that. I want you to think that there's a bigger picture at play than just the Lord trying to feed you. He's trying to feed you so that you can help feed others. He's trying to help build you so you can help build others. Notice that we've talked about this already in this passage, right? Right. Uh, he talks about esteeming them very highly for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil uh, to any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men, right? Then he goes to rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, everything give thanks, quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, in order to do all those things, you've got to have your own private time. But notice that, Every moment of our Christian life is ultimately for a greater purpose to help one another, to build the body of Christ. Now, ultimately, here's what we find in verse 23 and 24 that we're going to focus in on today is that God is faithful to his work of sanctifying and strengthening the Christian and the church as a whole from the inside out. God does his best work and truly does a work from the inside out. We have to see that. God doesn't build a church from the outside in. He doesn't build a Christian from the outside in, right? If outside in is works. Outside in is religious works. Outside in is moralism. Outside in is a whole bunch of stuff, but it is not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is God doing a work of grace and mercy inwardly that spreads outwardly as we receive His grace by faith. Now, with this, we have to understand that God is not only a God who saves. God is the God who sanctifies. Now, we've got to remember and understand this. You do not sanctify yourself. Now, there's some folks who get all riled up about that. And I've heard plenty of folks. And they a matter of fact, they come to me because they're all riled up in me because I've said stuff like that. You don't sanctify yourself. It is a work of the Holy Spirit of God in you. Now, your sanctification will only go as far as you are yielded to the Spirit of God. So notice, you do have a responsibility. What's your responsibility? Yield to the Spirit and the Word of God. The Spirit of God always works through the Word of God to prepare us to do the work of God. And here's what we find. We'll never be able to work for God unless we are yielded to his word and yielded to the teaching and leading and guiding and convicting power of his Holy Spirit that he's given us. So who does the saving? God. Who does the sanctifying? God. Who does the glorifying? God. So all of your life is done by God. But what do we find? We are to be yielded to him or else we do not reap the benefits and the results of what the Lord is wanting to do in your life. The Lord has not forgotten you or left you out of this sanctifying process. He has not gone on and said, you know, I want to sanctify this one more than I want to sanctify the other ones because I just like them more than this one. This one just looks funny or acts funny or smells funny or anything. No. Here's what we find. You are going to be as sanctified as you are yielded to the Lord. Now with this though, here's what we see. We're going to see that the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. So what does Paul believe here? Paul believes, first of all, that God is a God of peace, but it's the peace of God that does a work in our life to sanctify us. Now, I've got to understand some things about this. Now, God's will, word, and work not only sanctify to set us apart, is the idea of sanctification, to be set apart, right, or holiness, uh, to set us apart from something, but unto himself. And notice we've said it different ways, and, and we'll say it different ways this morning just to help us out a little bit. You are not merely saved from hell, are you? Right? You're not just saved from hell to then just float around at, like a ghost. It, it don't work that way. That's not your afterlife. No, you are saved from hell to what? To be saved, to be in the presence of God and enjoy Him forever and, and forever and forever. And once you reach forever, then keep going for forever, right? To be with the Lord who saved you, who's bought you, who's redeemed you. So not only this, but we are not only sanctified to be set apart from the world, which we are. We are called, and, and Paul talked about it uh, back in Chapter 3. The four. Uh, chapter 4, about the holiness of the Christian, right? Uh, he says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Well, well, it's the vessel. Well, We talked about this and one of two things. either One, we talked about his wife, but two, uh, talking about your own body, your own man, you know, that you are to know how uh, to yield yourself unto God as he sanctifies and does a sanctifying work in you. So the Lord is always sanctifying us. Here's the issue. We are not always feeling sanctified. Not know how many times I have to get up here on a Sunday morning and I don't feel sanctified? This morning. <laughs> Amen. Y'all all right with that? There's some times that we just don't plumb feel sanctified. You know why? Because there's just some times we don't feel like we have all this big change in our life. Because here's the thing. We think that God only works in big things. Once you know, here's how the way God works is sanctifying work in you. Day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, Second by second, thought by thought, that's God's mundane, faithful work in your life. So we can trust that God is not only trying to do a big thing in your life, but the big thing in your life is the little things of your life. The big thing of your Christian life of being sanctified, set apart from the world, and set apart unto God's youthfulness is this, that God works works faithfully, moment by moment, through the mundane, average, everyday things. This is why our Christian life is not merely lived on a Sunday morning. This, this, The Christian life is not an experience or a concert or an event. It is a moment by moment life. It is Christ's life lived in us and for us and through us. And here's what we find. Ultimately, that it is He who desires to sanctify us, to set us apart from the world because that's for our benefit but then to set us apart unto Himself for His benefit that He would work through our lives to build His church, edify His church, but as well to go outside these four walls and to preach the gospel. We think about this. God is using every moment of your life to sanctify you. That means He sanctifies you when you're listening and yielding to Him. Yes, that's sanctifying. matter of fact, I would say that yielding to the Lord and having those good moments faithful where you go, you know, I've walked with the Lord today a little bit more than normal. That's a pretty good day, right? And we don't always have those days, but those times where we go, wow, praise the Lord for that. You know what that is? That's the fruit of yielding when things aren't going good. That's the fruit of the schoolhouse of suffering. That's the fruit of the schoolhouse of when nothing seems to be going right and you just don't feel saved, let alone sanctified, right? So with all this, what do we see? God desires to do this deeper work within us that we find that sanctification in the believer Is more than moral avoidances, but it is a setting us apart for the use of God in the world until the coming of Christ. Some folks today are mistaken about what salvation and sanctification are. We have to understand that both of them are linked together. You'll never be sanctified unless you're truly saved, right? Now here's what we see with sanctification, there are many today who are well intentioned, but they have the opinion or the thought. I believe misguided thought by most folks that sanctification is merely avoiding certain sins, right? Many times sanctification in the Christian life is preached and taught that it is just not sinning as much as you used to or maybe not doing the big sins that you used to. It is not, my friend. You want to know why? Because, first of all, you have no power in your own flesh to stop your own sinfulness, it's, it's our spirit that yields to him. We'll get into that in just a moment. And so in your flesh dwelleth no good thing. How long is that for? Till this flesh puts on immortality and incorruption, right? Until that day, we must yield our bodies uh, to be a servant of the Lord. We must yield our body you know, because we've been bought with a price. We must yield our body because we are the temple of the Holy Ghost of God. So our sanctification is not merely avoiding sin. You know what avoiding sin is? Moralism. You know what won't get you to heaven? Moralism. You know what won't sanctify you? Moralism. Now you say, well, isn't sanctification partly avoiding sin? Yes, but you only want to know the, the only way to avoid sin in your life is to be aware of your Savior. The only way that you will avoid sin in your life, the only way that I avoid sin in my life, is the more aware that we become of God, what He has done for us, and what we have in Christ, our identity being in Him solely, that is where we find, The the defeat and the power to defeat sin in our life. The Lord has not merely saved us and, and then not given us power over sin. Rather, that is what sanctification process looks like. It is the inward work. It is the Lord constantly and continuously chipping things away in our life, showing us who we are, showing us who we are in Him, showing us what we have in Him, showing us what our life should look like in Him, and chipping these things away. Why? Because one day, He who has begun a good work will complete it. That day is coming. One day we will stand before the Lord. One day he is coming for his church. So notice, sanctification is this. It is twofold. Yes, it is sanctified, set apart from the world. But it is also at the very same time and in just as equal an amount, sanctified, set apart unto God. God does not merely save us to then just leave us off to our own. Rather, it is the same God who convicted us and saved us and gave us the same grace to save us as the same grace to sanctify us, right? And so we find that God is ever at work. And perhaps the, one of the greatest joys of the Christian is not the fact that we always feel sanctified. It's not even the fact that we always feel saved. It is that we can trust by faith that if we are in Christ, if we have trusted in Jesus, that he is ever doing a work in my life. I don't always see the work that he does. Matter of fact, here's the thing. We don't need to see the work that he does all the time. But we think that we have to because here's how our mind works. Our mind and our heart still works and operates oftentimes by flesh. The flesh wants proof. The flesh wants big results. The flesh wants everything to be uh, not merely just, uh, say, say you get a stain on your carpet or your rug, right? You get a stain, you drop something, right? You get something and you kind of get it out. Our brain wants to just go ahead, well, let's just make it brand new altogether and we won't have to worry about it, we won't stain it anymore, right? Well, here's the thing. What is God always doing? He's always constantly cleansing us. He's always constantly redeeming us. He's always constantly saving us from our own fleshly ways and nature. We find that we are sanctified not merely to avoid sin, but to be aware of our Lord and, and, and as we do so, we become more aware of the fact that Christ is coming. We become more motivated to live our Christian life in the local church uh, with one another, to help one another, to edify one another, to encourage one another. And as well, what we find is that we find that the more that I not merely avoid sin, but the more aware I am of the Lord, the more I want to avoid sin. The motivating factor of avoiding sin is not moralism. It's the motivating factor that it, Christ is coming, and he desires me to be set apart from the world and set apart unto his work so that he would use me all of us today would say i would love to be used of the lord i want you to know you can be god desires to do so but what we must see is that we must yield to him in the sanctifying work every believer here he says that the very god of peace sanctify you wholly." notice and he says and i pray god your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless Unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this first and foremost. Is there a difference between sinless and blameless? Yes, they're different words. There you go. All right, two. I'll help you out even more, all right? Not only are there two different words, but sinless means without sin. That's right. Blameless means without blame. Now, how would you get the blame? There is outer appearance. All right, let's think of it this way. Uh, When Cammie makes cookies and she says, these are for the cookie social for the church. Don't eat them. Got it. Yes, ma'am. So she goes into the other room to uh, do her hair or makeup or get dressed. And you know what I do? I grab a cookie. I eat the cookie. It is delicious. I look at my clock and I go, you know what? I only ate that in three bites in about 15 seconds. I think I could eat another one while she's still gone. She won't notice there's several dozen cookies. So I start to eat another one. But then you know what happens she comes in there right looks like nothing happened I put the lid back I'm very meticulous with that not that I do that sweetheart put everything back she has no idea she comes in she goes that's right she knows you know how she knows because she goes you ate a cookie didn't you no crumbs that's right (laughs) crumbs all over the beard so what do we find there's the blame to be had why because it's outwardly seen she can outwardly look and go, no, 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 you say you didn't, and it's okay that you ate some cookies, but I can see the crumbs right there. So here's the idea. We must not think that the sanctifying process is making us sinless. We won't be sinless until we're in his presence, all right, when we put off this flesh. However, the Christian is to live a blameless life. You ever notice that in the uh, pastoral epistles? when it talks about the the qualifications for a pastor, to be blameless, not sinless. You know why? Live with a pastor, be around a pastor for any moment in time. We do a lot of sinning, right? If you knew the thoughts and the sin, you wouldn't want to sit here. But if I knew yours, I wouldn't want to be up here either. Amen? You don't want to know mine, I don't want to know yours. This is why we want to know simply the grace of God. Now, with this, the pastor is to be blameless. Why? Not to have that outward, outward thing going, ah, no, 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 that, that's, that's not right. That's not good. Now, he gives a whole long list of what that's to look like. What about for the Christian? Well, our sanctification process is to not make us sinless, but to make us blameless. One, to be blameless before the Lord. Two, to be blameless before the world. Notice this. Remember what David often said in the Psalms? Sometimes we read some of the earlier Psalms some in the teens, and you're going, Man, David sound prideful. David's going, Lord, I'm blameless before you. Lord, I, I'm righteous before you. And you're like, Are you sure about that, David? Because I've kind of read about what you've done, and it, are you sure? But it still says after those sins that he was a man after God's own heart. We find that he had repentance and faith, and genuine repentance and genuine faith, and so that he knew judicially. I stand blameless. I stand righteous before you. And ultimately, our life is to be lived in such a way as that. What we find is that every part of the believer, as he says, uh, notice the order, spirit, soul, body, preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every part of the believer is to be sanctified unto the Lord. It is holy unto him. There is no part of our life that does not belong to God. So here's the thing. Many Christians today and the average Christian today Only stuff that belongs to God is a 10%. 10% of my time, 10% of my money, 10% of my attitude, 10% of my work, 10%, right? And we normally don't really give 10% of anything like that across the board in the first place. Now, folks go, well, God only expects and requires 10%. I want you to know when we see tithing actually in the Old and New Testament, the Old Testament, it came out to where they were giving about 25% after everything was said and done. And then the New Testament, you say, well, I we can't make an argument for tithing in the New Testament. Well, that, that's fine. You can say that all you want. That's fine. Uh, matter of fact, we, we are to give more than the 10% of the New Testament anyways. Uh, because we're to give our entire life. Our life belongs to Him. Every moment, every dollar, every cent, every, uh, everything that you own belongs to Him. Every job you've ever had, every family member you've got, everything belongs unto the Lord. And so our life is to be sanctified unto Him. You ever notice this? Let me give you an example. How many of y'all have kitchen towels in your kitchen? All right. Now, how many of y'all have kitchen towels in your kitchen that you don't use? They're decorative. Uh Uh-huh. That's right. The hands didn't go up as high because y'all were all ashamed. But notice, all y'all put your hands up. You know why? Because we do too. The one that sits on uh, on the stove, that one doesn't get used. The one that's hanging up, that one gets used. I grew up, my mom, she had one towel that could get used for washing your hands in the bathroom, but the other ones were decorative and that hung and had to be even and all this stuff, right? So you know what I like to do? <laughs> I still do it every time I go to see her. She knows I've been there. Now, why is that? you go, well, that one is set apart for a special purpose. It's set apart for a reason. It is to not get used. It is a towel that is unusable. Now, it's not really unusable, but it is set apart to be unusable. Well, then we go, but these towels are good. And then we've got more towels and more wash rags and stuff that are used for different things. you got these can be used for messes. These can be used for certain other things. These just don't get used at all, and they just stay at the bottom of the drawer, and we forgot that we had them, right? All that stuff. Now, why do I say all that? Because here's the thing. As a Christian, many of us today, we go, well, the Lord's got this part of my life. He, he can have this bit. He's got my sunny mornings. He's got my uh, few minutes in the morning. I'll read my Bible. But everything else is mine. The the, the rest is up to me. The rest belongs to me. Nothing belongs to us. Our breath doesn't belong to us. Our possessions don't belong to us. Everything is to be set apart unto the Lord. God cares more about your possessions than you do. You say, what do you mean? He cares how you use your possessions but he cares that your possessions don't possess you. He cares that ultimately the greatest possession that you have is knowing him. And we find this that God certainly cares. People say, "Well, Lord doesn't care about my my money." Oh, he does. Lord doesn't care about my time." He does. He cares about every part of your life even more than you do and what we find is that everything is to be set apart unto him from the inside out. Spirit, soul, body. Your spirit Belongs to God. Your soul to be set apart for God. Your body to be set apart for God. And notice this. Every fiber of our being belongs to Him. Inside out. And what Paul does here, and this is what we're going to focus in on this morning, is he expresses the triunity of man to show that from our innermost being, To our outermost bodily actions are to be sanctified from the world and unto the work of God. Now, notice this. Let's think about this for a moment before we get too deep. The tabernacle was a set apart place, wasn't it? It was given to the Jews only and for the Jews only. Now, you had outer courts that some folks could go in to take their offering. But you had a place, a, a holy place, and then a holy of holies, and the only one that gave in the holy of holies could only do so once a year, the day of atonement, it was a high priest, and he had to do so in a certain way, certain order, certain time, with certain things to bring, or else, what happened? Now, that's serious. Notice that the entire place of the tabernacle was set apart unto the Lord. It was set apart from the world. Why? Because it was not in the world. Matter of fact, it was out in the wilderness when they had it. But it was to be set apart for God's people. It was to be set apart unto God. It was a place where God and man met together. You see, we don't have the tabernacle anymore. No. We don't have the temple because later on, then we see that the temple is to be the same operating way. Now we find out that we are called now the temple of God. You as an individual believer. So what does this mean? Just as the tabernacle and the temple both had the picture of the heavenly, and as well, they picture what the believer looks like we have an outer court of which the world can see that is our body we have an inner place where the action gets done our soul this is our mind our emotions our intellect our feelings and then we have our spirit our spirit is the holy of holies it is the innermost part this is what we find our spirit is what communes and desires and longs to commune with our creator god now what does john 424 say Jesus says to the woman at the well, he says, look, let me, let me tell you, it don't so matter if you're worshiping here in Samaria, up on a mountain, or in Jerusalem, he says, the day comes where those that worship God worship him in spirit and truth. When the word spirit is there, it is not capitalized. Why? Because it's not the Holy Spirit. Lowercase, our spirit. Now, we're going to see this this morning. Uh, one commentator writes, he says, from this verse and others, it is clear that we are tripartite, meaning this, we, we picture, right, made in God's own image, are we not? Well, God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all three being co-equal, co-eternal, yet distinct persons. Now, we try to wrap our brain around the infinite idea and understanding of the triune God. Nevertheless, what we find is that the triune and the triunity of God is always at work. Father is always at work. Son is always at work. Spirit is always at work. The the, uh, Father sends the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. The Spirit sends us, right? We find that we are this tripartite. uh, He says our spirit is that part which enables us to have communion with God. Our soul has to do with our emotions, desires, affections, propensities, right? This idea of the real you, your personality, if you will, right? And then he says, our body is the house in which our person dwells. Wonder who the real you is? Not on the outside. The outside can be masked, can't it? Matter of fact, we mask the outside. Think about it this way we mask it every time we come in this church, more than likely. We put on nice clothes. We smile. We say things like, Good to see you. Oh, yep, living the dream. No, you're not. We're not living the dream. The dream's coming, right? We're waiting for the Lord to come. But we find that our body, we can mask it. We can make it change. You can change the outer all the time, right? You go up, you can go up later this week and go up to Dana's. She'll, she'll color your hair. She'll change it purple and pink and everything else, right? But that's not really who you are. You are not the color of your hair or the color of your eyes. You are not the clothes that you wear. Now, here's what we understand. You ever notice someone's style? Now, around right here in Carroll County, you've only got a couple styles. You've got a traditional, regular old style. You've got the hipster style that's still coming in a little bit now, right? It's those folks from Floyd creeping in is what it is. It's that influence is like, anyways. Then what else you got? Well, then you got overalls, camouflage, different shades and brands of camouflage, Right? But it's pretty about it. But we often do this. We often look at someone's outer garment and clothes, and we go, oh, well, we see them. We go, okay, they're wearing camouflage pants and a John Deere tractor shirt that's bright green, which always matches. The deer can't see it, all right? And we go, that's a redneck. Y'all ever done that? That might be the clothes in your closet for all I don't know. <laughs> now, we base their whole personality based on what they're wearing. We look at someone's outer body and we go, "Oh, they're this kind of person." Do we know that? No, we can't know that. We do that, but we can't know their inner person. We don't know their soul and their spirit. But yet, what we find is this: what happens on our outer man stems from our inner man. One of the reason why you have a certain style, the reason why you say certain phrases, the reason why you go to certain places to eat, and the reason why you have the things that you do and like certain preferences—the way you do on the outside. It could be from your house, the color of your paint, color of your car, make and model of your car. You know why you do all that? Your soul. It is your preferences. It is your personality. It is your intellect. It is your giftings. It is all these different things. But then what sets man apart from animals? Spirit. The innermost part that communes with God. Now what is believed here, Adrian Rodgers Talked of it this way, many others did, so if you could cite those and you're like, okay, maybe I'm good here, but we get asked all the time as a pastor, is my dog gonna go to heaven? I go, they had that movie from Disney, all dogs go to heaven, so that's what I'm going with. They had make one about cats. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Sharon. <laughs> get me in trouble this morning. Now here's what we find. What separates man from beast? Spirit communion with God made in His image. Animal kingdom is not made in His image. The plant kingdom is not made in His image. The rest of the world is not made in His image. Man is made in His image. So with this, man is spirit, soul, expressed outwardly by our body. God does His work inside than outside. Now here's what moralism and religion and unfortunately many Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, independent Baptists do, and they preach this. You've got to change your shirt. You've got to change your dress. You've got to change your haircut. You've got to change everything on the outside for God to accept you on the inside. Wrong. God saves the soul, the spirit. He saves the inner man. And the inner man that is saved, the outer man will change. Now here's the issue. We get all sorts of preferences about outside bodily stuff. Preferences aren't doctrine. Preferences are preferences. Pre- preferences are based on what we think our body and our outward opinion ought to be like. There's some Baptists who go, well, you shouldn't go to a movie theater. And there's some who go, well, I'm going to movies tonight. Some who say, well, you ought to wear a suit and a dress to church. Or, well, not both at the same time. You can pick and choose there, right? You get what I'm saying. You, you, you ought to do those things, right? preference what do we find god saves and changes and sanctifies all three body soul spirit but he does so from spirit soul body this is why jesus talks about the sins of the day and he says what's in the heart comes out the mouth it's what's in the heart that defiles a man why just because your outer man, you can change that up morally and you can live a good moral life like the Pharisees and yet on the inside still be dead in trespasses and sins. And all three parts of man, spirit, soul, body, are interwoven and codependent. You ever having a struggle day within your spirit? You're not connected with God. You're struggling with your own self. you made mistakes. you sinned. And now you know what your body feels like. A slug. There's a reason why we sing for such a worm as I. Because there's times that we just feel like a worm. We just feel like a nothing. What we find is this. Our outer man is tainted with sin. God has saved us from the inside out and gave empowerment and the equipment for their inner man to yield to him changes us and what we find is that all three parts that make us who we are are dependent upon one another yet all three are directed above that are direct all three that are directed above have have to relationship with god your body is to be towards god your soul is to be yielded to god your spirit to be yielded to god what we find is that all parts of our being belongs to him so this is why it does matter what we do outwardly why Because outwardly, our outer life, our body, our words, the things that come from our life, the fruit of our life, ought to be pleasing to God. They ought to be toward God. For God. Our thoughts, our hearts' emotions and beliefs, that's our soul. It ought to be set apart toward God. Our spirit is to live in fellowship and communion with God at all times, at all places. That's what we were designed to do, ultimately, is to be in the presence of God. Now, what do we know? The Spirit of God now abides within us. And we'll deal with it. We won't have time today, but we'll look at Romans 6 and 8 next week. And we're going to see how these things come to play. The Lord is always ever at work to sanctify us wholly unto Himself. Now, we notice the order here, spirit, soul, body. Meyer writes: The shikana of His presence shines in the holy of holies, and thence pours over into the holy place, and so into the outer courts, until the very curtains of the body are eradicated or are irradiated, excuse me, with its light. The Lord desires to use our body, soul, spirit. Why? By changing us as we yield our spirit, soul, and body unto Him. The Christian life and the sanctified life is not one of outward moralism and avoidances of sin. It is one of inward dependence and yielding to the Spirit of God through the Word of God that sets us apart to do the work of God for the glory of God. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've given to us in Christ. We thank you that you can show us these things in your in your Word, Lord, that we might know who we are as a man, as a woman. We might know you as who you are as our Lord and what you desire and what you require and what you Uh, empower us to do in our life. God, we pray that now that you would set apart this time, this day, this hour, Lord, each song, uh, each each moment of the message, Lord, each time of fellowship today, God, that you would bring honor and glory to yourself, that Christ would be preached, proclaimed, that we would draw near to one another and near to you. We love you. We thank you for this time. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.